Hello and welcome to the Simply podcast. I'm Aish, Content and Community Manager at Simply. And I'm Patrick, Content and Comms Director at Simply. Aish, who have we got with us today? Today we'll be talking to Bessie Kokalis Peskio. She's the Vice President of Global Internal Comms at Philip Morris International. We're going to be talking about PMI's smoke-free journey, Bessie's move into IC and how to become a trusted advisor to senior leadership in organisations. Fantastic. And I know she's based in Lucerne as well, a beautiful part of the world in Switzerland. Let's get started then, Aish. So hi, Bessie, and welcome to the Simply podcast. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role as Vice President of Global Internal Comms at Philip Morris International, please? Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to join you today. Uh, I am originally from the United States and I've been living in Switzerland since uh, 2005. And that's because that's where Philip Morris International's headquarters are located. So um, today uh, I am responsible for uh, global internal communications across uh, Philip Morris International. We work in over 90 markets and we have over 70,000 employees. And very simply put, when I think about uh, the work that I do uh, and the role of internal communications at our company, it's really about building a dialogue across the organization between our senior leaders and employees, and also helping to connect employees to one another. Uh, These have been two uh, very important aspects uh, of connection and belonging that we've seen through the pandemic and now since the pandemic. So uh, the role of internal communications here, and certainly I know from my uh, peers and other companies, has uh, expanded uh, since uh, the past few years. Um, Bessie, obviously you've, um, thank you for that, you've You've mentioned there that you have offices in, did you say 90, 90 markets? Yes. That's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have, you have, so you have language to consider. You will have a humongous front line, I would have thought, at Philip Morris, you know, at the, um, the manufacturing level. Um, yes. So when you have these nuances and these particular challenges, um, what, how, how do you tackle this? For instance, how do you tackle language, uh, language capability? And, uh, and also, how do you engage with a, with, with a large frontline workforce? Sure. Well, that's going to be a long answer to your question, but I think the the short answer is, uh, Patrick, it's not a simple answer, uh, and it's not a, a simple simple to achieve. I think first things first is you need to be very clear about what you need to communicate to your audiences. And as you said, there are different audiences. We have office-based employees, we have employees who are out in uh, in the field doing sales, and then we have, of course, factory-based employees. And they each communicate differently. Uh, they each receive information differently, and they're each motivated and interested in different topics. So the first thing is understanding those personas and understanding what they're really looking for. And importantly, who's the best messenger to share that information with them? Um, And then secondly, once you understand that, uh, it's about also understanding how can a global message, because we sit on the, the global side, how can a global message be made relevant 
first, before we even get to translation, relevant for the local population. What's someone in uh, a certain geography going to be interested in or concerned about, depending upon what's happening in their particular world at a given point in time? So contextualizing that message is important, otherwise it's not going to be relevant. And no matter whether it's translated um, very well, it's not going to land. It's not going to resonate with uh, with the employee. So uh, those are sort of prerequisites. And of course, then in terms of translation, the way we do it here um, at uh, PMI, again, because we work in so many different markets, we have a network of internal comms uh, communicators across the organization and who are local. So they are the ones who take what we do globally and then translate it and make it relevant locally. See, that's uh, that makes sense. So um, regarding, so I've got two questions from that. I keep coming at you with two. Sorry about that, Bessie. Um, but the <laughs> first, uh, so I know that you looked at personalizing the message there, making the, the hyper-local relevance um, important. So obviously you're using people on the ground, they're translating the message, but I was wondering if you're using any any other tech and tools uh, to help with that, uh, to, for, you know, to, to, to get the, um, the hyper-local message across. So let's say if you're doing something centrally that actually you could um, basically, yeah, kind of make sure that you're you're only engaging um, LATAM employees when you need to engage LATAM employees or whatever. Let's say it's around, um, yeah, something particular to that area. The other question where you said you said who is the best messenger? Obviously, you've got your local IC people on the ground, but I was wondering whether you're using the um, the comms cascade and the manager comms cascade heavily. At PMI as well. I was just wondering how you tend to go around those processes. So, again, sorry for the two questions, but I know Aisha is going to rush in and, and ask some anyway. So, um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of the right messenger, absolutely, it's important to engage uh, team leaders, people managers, uh, the people that others are going to listen to, right? So, the cascade is very important. But let's not think about this as a traditional cascade, whereas, you know, A equals A. It's here's a global message. What does it mean for me locally? And I think that that's where the role of the people manager, of the team leader, the supervisor needs to be able to explain what's in it for me to, to their teams. Um, so that cascade um, is certainly important, but what's more important there is, again, the, the contextualization and, and the relevance. In terms of tools to get messages to certain populations, of course, I think we all have um, certain tools to help do that from the fundamentals in terms of distribution lists and, and, and the rest. Um, so I, I don't think that we have anything particularly unique to get to different audiences. It's just about understanding who those communities are and being able to, to communicate to them um, quickly and, and, uh, and swiftly with the right, in the right channel, I would say. So, for example, if you have, uh, and this is a great example that we that uh, I've heard time and again from our, our team in France. So our team in France, uh, they have uh, a sizable field force. And as you can imagine, that means they're in their cars a lot and they're in shops a lot and uh, in and out of, uh, in and out of um, 
the retail environment. So they're relying on their cell phones for information. So an SMS or uh, a newsletter or some type of a digestible summary or a short video that help that they can get on their phone and that's going to give them the information that they need is going to be much more effective than reading a long email or um, attending a webcast or uh, sitting in uh, a lunch and learn with the, uh, his or her uh, manager. So it's, it's not only about the channel um, and it's not only about the community, but it's also about the format that you use in order to get the message out there. Thanks ever so much, Bessie, really clear. <laughs> Wonderful. And on your um, on your LinkedIn that you mentioned that you're a trusted advisor to the senior management team. Yeah. How do internal communicators be that trusted advisor or within an organization? Sure. Um, trust takes time. I think we all know that. Um, and it starts with credibility and it starts with credibility of knowing your craft and knowing communications, internal communications, external communications, whatever your craft may be. And secondly, at least this is what I've been observing uh, over the years in different contexts here at, at uh, Philip Morris International and elsewhere, it's also about understanding the business. So being able to advise a senior leader or any leader in the organization uh, an excellent communicator will be one who is able to distill business acumen uh, and communications expertise to produce a great communication. So that's how you get the attention of senior people um, and you can guide them. But in order to that first and very important step is to make sure you understand that you're speaking in their language and that you understand their world and vice versa and vice versa. They understand your world, thanks to you and your counsel, and how to best perform as a communicator. So, um, you know, you'll understand what's the best style for a particular leader? You know, do they prefer to be in person? Do they prefer to be online? Do they prefer to be scripted, unscripted? Where do they shine? So it's all it's really about understanding uh, the context, the business, the personality, the motivation of that that leader and what that leader wants to communicate to their different audiences and how to best then uh, find the best mix to deliver that message effectively. What you're talking about there, Bessie, obviously you've got, you mentioned you've got the, the, the business acumen, the context and the personality of the people. It's, it's multi-skilled and multi-layered. And looking at your um, your previous experience, uh, Philip Morris and elsewhere, actually there was more of that business, business acumen um, kind of expertise that you had before 2015, where you clearly moved into an internal communications role. So I was wondering if one of the reasons before for, for the shift was because you had these uh, skill sets that you built over the years, because we very rarely see people directly go into IC as a career, but not typically sure. from your areas. Usually it's come from like me, journalists, public relations, that kind of area uh, into IC. So, so yeah, what was the reason close to a decade ago for, for your shift to the director of IC role? Sure. You know, is there, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story um, because 
What's been happening here at Philip Morris International has been quite um, phenomenal. And again, I've been here since 2005, and I've had the privilege of witnessing and participating, contributing to the, tra the complete transformation of the business, moving from a company that sells cigarettes to uh, one that sells uh, smoke-free, reduced-risk alternatives. It's a massive shift in our business. So there were two different chapters that then prepared me for this third chapter, which was in communications that you alluded to in your remarks. The first one was working in research and development at the time when we were thinking about uh, and working very hard to build a pipeline of new products. Uh, the second chapter uh, was about understanding the business, understanding how we sell, what we sell, um, what are the uh, the challenges, the opportunities, and in particular, um, how does how does that landscape change when you change the product that you're going to be selling? Uh, so after those two chapters, and the timing was very important here too, Patrick. I moved um, into communications at a time where we were just uh, about to uh, or starting to announce. Uh, we had just launched um, ICOS, which is one of our uh, leading products, new products, and we had launched it in a couple of markets. And our CEO um, basically told the world in no, uh, in no uncertain terms that our goal was to replace cigarettes with better alternatives. And that changed everything because then that was that became the opportunity to think about how are we going to communicate this to the world externally and internally. So I worked on that externally first. Uh, that was my my first uh, the first work that I did uh, in communications and then internally. The external challenge was um, to think about how to um, how to best explain what we're doing and why we're doing it and why we're doing it now and how we're doing it. And then related to that, and this is where the internal challenge begins, it is how do you rally 70,000 people around a completely different objective? So that's what's made this journey and this work and in internal communications so uh, worthwhile and so unique because the journey that we're on here is about sort of moving a, a, a steamship, you know, from one direction into into the other. And part of that is that an important part of that is building the awareness and engagement and pride among our employees for this um, pioneering change. So that was um, that was the context with uh, uh, in which I moved from the commercial area into communications. I see, um, and I, and yeah, obviously I've looked at uh, some of the stats. So thirty-five percent, I believe, currently of your products are smoke-free, and your target is for that to become fifty percent uh, come twenty twenty-five. That's uh, right. Uh, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> on the website. Um, and uh, obviously there's no defined uh, a year, um, at least not externally, for, for going uh, completely free. I, I've got a question around when this came about, because as you say, it is a completely different yes. 
perspective, were you met with a lot of resistance by employees around things such as job security and, you know, uh, any other areas? Um, because, as you say, it's 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 no, Marlborough is known, especially uh, one of your one of your brands uh, for being synonymous with with cigarettes and, you know, the old fashioned smoking. So so was there any um, real objection to that? And then after that, how did you work to embed this within the organisation? Did you run campaigns? Did you run focus yes. work? So how, how did you start to get back? Did you have green group type, um, you know, uh, people to to lean on champions? How did you start embedding this new way of, of, of thinking? Sure. Yeah. Very, very interesting question. Um, so I think you started, um, if I may, Patrick, with when did this all come about, which was around uh, 2016 and what was the reaction? So um, we announced, we, we basically announced announced this, right? And internally, the reaction was initially one of elation, one of pride, like, oh my God, we're, we're doing this. This is happening. You have to understand that from a scientific, a technical perspective, um, this was a very, very hard challenge. Um, but we've got, uh, and still do, incredible scientific minds uh, and expertise that um, did what was what was thought to be unthinkable in the in the industry in terms of cracking um, the 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 challenge of how to produce a product that doesn't burn but that heats and that would be satisfying and reduced uh, and potentially a reduced harm product for consumers at large. So the first reaction was like, wow. We did it. This is great. And then the reality set in, which was, okay, well, what does this mean? You know, how are we going to get there? How are we going to make this a reality across the country? Because at that point, we'd only launched in a couple of markets, uh, probably Italy and Japan uh, by that time. And we're talking around 2014 and 2016 timeframe, right? So then the question was, well, how are we going to, what do we need to learn as an organization? What skills, what capabilities, what knowledge do we need to build in order to move into a different direction? What does this mean for us? And from that, um, we did launch a campaign around designing a smoke-free future and uh, what the and explained what the transformation was about and how we were going to get there. What were the different steps that we were going to take? How we were going to train uh, our employees to learn and to know about these products, how to sell them, how to commercialize them, how to uh, develop them, um, and that we were going to invest in the expertise and in the capabilities and in the employees and the resources that we had in order to train them to pivot into a new direction. So yes, there was uh, a lot of um, initial consternation, um, but over time with proof and with actions, concrete actions that were taking place around the organization, you started to see these new ways of working and new capabilities being uh, installed uh, throughout the organization. So it was a huge change management um, initiative to get uh, the organization behind uh, behind this new uh, this new mission. Thank you, Bessie.
and um, so some of these initiatives that you've mentioned uh, and some others that you spearheaded have been recognised by the uh, Stevie International Business Awards, the IABC Gold Quill Awards, Inspiring Workplace Awards, Communicate Magazine, to name a few. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the campaigns and yeah, tell us tell us everything? Sure. Um, yes, there have been quite a few recently and a number of them um, were related to some of the work that we did during the pandemic. So let's, um, well, rewind back a little bit to that time and what was happening, I think, across all, all organizations. Of course, there was a primary concern around uh, safety and security and being able to inform employees about what needed to happen, uh, how it needed to happen, what was expected of them to keep them safe and secure. Um, so that we, um, in our company, uh, we have uh, a crisis management team uh, that we as internal communications are part of. Um, so when, uh, unfortunately, um, sometimes there are crises, uh, we partner with them in order to get the message out to employees. But that's one piece um, that was also recognized as part of the, the these awards. But the more interesting piece was thinking about uh, how to continue to keep everybody connected, and how and and to do that by tapping into the DNA of the company, and what would bring people together, what would give them uh, a lift during a time and environment which was difficult for many people for many reasons, as we know. So a couple of these awards that we received among the ones that you mentioned were for um, some employee experiences that we did. So I think you're probably familiar with Eurovision, are you? Yes? We all love yeah, it. Absolutely. A little bit. Okay, great. So let's say that we did our own version of Eurovision. Uh, so it was uh, co-created with employees, for employees, um, uh, by employees and of employees. So we we featured at a time when everybody was behind their, uh, their desktops and by themselves, uh, not coming into the office. We thought, you know what, we need to boost the mood. Um, how can we do that in a way that's authentic to our organization? So this employee experience was around uh, a music contest uh, where we had employees from across uh, the organization submit uh, their uh, best shot and uh, was voted on, uh, and the different submissions were voted on by a jury of, of their employee peers, uh, and then they were then showcased to the entire organization online, a show online, uh, and employees voted for the best, uh, the best performances. So it was incredible. Um, we had so many different submissions from across the globe. It's, it's incredible. We have a lot of musical talent around here um, at, uh, at at PMI, and it was it was a smashing success. Uh, we also brought in an external, um, well-known uh, musician to perform for the entire organization as well to reward everyone across the organization. So it was a great mix of employee engagement that was really. Um, created by employees, uh, attended, well attended, very well attended by employees. And um, it really got people connected at a time when connection was absolutely crucial. So that's one of the one of the the fun 
but also um, most memorable uh, experiences over these over these past few few years, the pandemic years, uh, that helped us to keep the organization connected and motivated. Um, and we had a number of other um, similar um, engagements like that that we uh, that we that we managed to pull off. So that was very nice and unusual. Always nice to do something different, right? I'd, I'd give that I'd give that idea deuce points. Uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, Vessie. Really good fun. I bet I bet anyone coming from the UK got a zero though. Got nil points. Oh, we had a lot of entries from the UK, but our Indonesian teams. Oh my God, you have no idea. They are amazing. You know <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I have experience working with Indonesian teams. They're all amazing singers, and they all love a bit of karaoke. So I'm not su- I'm not surprised uh, to hear that, uh, Bessie. And- and the Latin uh, and we had a lot of entries from Latin America, from our Russian uh, colleagues. Oh, there's so many. I, 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 there were so many. So Real. it was very nice. Yeah. Aisha, you've got another question. Yes, I do. Um, so you're on the steering committee of the Women's Inspiration Network, which is PMI's Women's Employee Resource Group, uh, yes. which is designed to support and build a community for women. Um, what does that entail? Can you talk to us about your work there? Sure. Well, um, yes. So WIN, or the Women's Inspiration Network, is one of our ERGs. Um, There's been a very big focus at PMI over the past uh, few years to stand up ERGs across a number of different um, areas, different different communities. Uh, And the Women's ERG was the first one, actually. So as a member of the steering committee, I work with um, a number of my colleagues uh, across the organization in order to identify what is it that uh, we can be doing better um, to support our our female employees from uh, a a knowledge uh, development, uh, networking, mentoring uh, point of view. And so, and that typically results, has resulted in, resulted in a series of different events that we, that we host uh, for the organization, both globally and locally with uh, external speakers, uh, networkings, uh, as you can probably imagine, and, and visits to different markets as well as um, leadership development um, resources and, and, and training that is, um, that is catered to the needs that we hear from different women across the organization. And also as part of that, and that's been a bonus of being a part of, of WIN, and one of the things that I've enjoyed most is having the chance to talk to uh, so many women from across the organization uh, from different functions, different walks of life, uh, different countries, different stages uh, of life, and to hear what's on their minds, to give them a sounding board, and also um, subsequently um, to mentor uh, many of them. And that's been very rewarding, uh, very enjoyable for me. And just looking at personal accolades, Bessie, um, you were recognised as IC Professional of the Year by Global Internal Common Brilliance Awards in 2021. I mean, I'd love to know how to get one of them. Um, can you tell us about that? Um, and yeah, why why, and how you, you got the accolade, basically? Well, I, I'm, I'm just lucky. I'm not exactly sure what put me at the top of the list. Um, but I have to say, um, you know, th- 
my team and I here, um, we work hand in hand. We're very dedicated, committed to the work that we're doing. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a real team effort. And uh, it's all about doing the right things to to help connect employees uh, with one another and and with our our, our management. Um, so I think that we've, uh, I think probably what what stood out is that, you know, from a number of different aspects, whether it be the content uh, that we share, how we share it, uh, the mechanics of getting it there, the reliance of our on our network the ability to give visibility to our senior leaders uh, and to keep them connected with uh, with employees and to have a transparent dialogue. I think all of these elements um, are, are, when taken together, uh, been really um, the formula for, for our success over the past few years. And um, looking forward, uh, can you tell us an, about anything new that's going on behind the scenes at PMI? Sure. Well, I think that uh, what's really important for us now is that, um, you know, we, we talked I talked earlier about some of these different transitions that we've gone through uh, in the company as we're, we're changing our focus. And uh, most recently, we've also completed a series of very important strategic um, acquisitions, which I think, Patrick, you must have picked up also if you've been on you've been on our website and on our sustainability report. So you, you've seen that. So a number of acquisitions in um, in fields related to ours to help accelerate our move uh, to becoming a smoke-free company. Uh, so here again, we have an, we're opening another chapter of integration and change management. So what does that mean for our organization? Uh, what does it mean for our employees? How to communicate? Who are we as a company as we go forward and we move into yet another area? Um, of uh, uh, that's related to the smoke-free journey. So I think that's what's exciting for us here now is to look and to say, well, what's different about this particular chapter compared to what we've already, these extraordinary chapters that we've lived through so far. So exciting times ahead. Thank you very much, uh, Bessie, and thank you for, for your time this afternoon. It's uh, been great to get behind the scenes at Philip Morris at International, and um, yeah, we're really, really appreciative of your time. So thank you very much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Uh